wanted to prophesy. This is your prophecy. The man who pulled sword from stone. Behold, your born king. Garbage in, garbage out. Hey everyone, welcome to Garbage In, Garbage Out. I'm your host, Kelton, and back in the, well, I mean, it's not a garage because I'm not on PDG. Uh, what, what do we have here? Back in the recording studio, uh, Grift, how's it going, sir? It's good. Um, I mean, you could make a case for it being a garage because, you know, that's sometimes where you store the trash. I don't like, you know, the, the garbage. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right? Yeah, back in the recording bin, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm back from my mission in the Balkans. Uh, I got my, upon return, uh, I got my uh, second shot, which I'm currently recovering from arm arms a little sore but you know could be worse it's no coincidence by the way that uh you miss a week and then all of the sudden tensions in the middle east have risen considerably so let people draw parallel lines however they want from there you know they they said that uh, a major european war the only way it was going to break out was through some some damn incident in the balkans and i you know i it, you're <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna leave it up to you to draw the lines on you know what i could have been doing and how uh, how it may have sparked this conflict, but you know, there's there's the whole uh, there's whole geopolitical scene. I've seen some good threads about how what's actually going on is power, big uh, you know, big power geopolitical um, uh, up you know, you know, uh, relations between like U.S., Russia, Turkey, all those all those big boys. So um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shit posting going on. There's it's it's cathartic to be dealing with the situation with humor, which is really all we have. We're powerless individuals online shit posting support for palestine yep, yep. It's, um i'm gonna we have i'm trying to do a little bit with the with the new um merch collection i put out i'm, I'm sure i'll be able to plug that later oh yeah of course i i mean you know it, it is weird to think that like the last time we spoke uh al jazeera had a uh, office in palestine and now they don't yeah the the, the ap did as well <laughs> normal world that we live in right yeah uh, it's okay thank god we can talk about important things like i don't know the 2017 king arthur movie something real hot off the presses on the tip of everyone's tongue yeah it's i, I mean this is two hours of my life i'm never going to get back so I'm, I'm very interested in at least having a cathartic interrogation of, of what what went wrong with this uh just utterly <laughs> derivative piece of media yeah and i know by the way uh for our listeners here we were planning on covering Jupiter's legacy, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this diplomatically. Um, if it didn't blow donkey dicks, I would be interested in covering it, <laughs> but it does. And so I don't want to. When the, the new trailer for The Green Knight, A24's uh, latest film, has me so fucking hype and wants me to get back into the world of King Arthur lore. Hell yeah. Um, I, I loved uh, King Arthur lore as a kid, you know, like, yeah, I, I remember had, you know, some um, really, really well-written and um, illustrated books, like, were some of my favorite on the on the bookshelf as a kid, and and um, I, 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 I saw the uh, 2004, the Clive Owen King Arthur movie, which was sort of like a revisionist take on it. I, I remember enjoying it when I was younger. I feel like I'm definitely due for a rewatch, mm -hmm. because <laughs> it definitely like as 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 far as the um the 
you know, originality and execution of the premise, uh, just in a completely other league from this piece of shit. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I mean, the 2004 Clive Owen movie might be bad, but it's probably bad um, in its own way, or it might be kind of cheesy in its own way or a little too dude bro who knows I, again it's been a while since i've seen it but it was definitely something that they had their own singular vision and their own kind of world that they were trying to set up and they fulfilled on it so if you like the vision great if you didn't like the vision oh well but it was a completed work and so i think that's what has helped it age much better than this movie because i mean it somehow feels like this movie is older than the 2004 movie oh yeah um and, and just one little tidbit i remember about the the 2004 movie um they the studio got in a little bit of hot water with the press because they made kira knightley's boobs bigger on the poster <laughs> i don't know if you remember that but they they photoshopped them pretty obviously <laughs> like you could probably google it and look up the side-by-side comparisons because it's it's pretty funny i mean oh, she, you know she already looks great there's no need to do that but i guess i guess for the uh, multiplex audiences who uh are uh weren't planning on seeing it and you know just that little bit of extra cleavage <laughs> would, would, would go the distance for getting their butts in the seats they, they they photoshopped her the way that like an eighth grade girl photoshops herself yeah. <laughs> looking at like prom photos or something or uh, you know instagram shit yeah yeah same, same. i was about to say sadie hawkins dance but then i realized that it makes me sound like someone from the 30s so uh never mind uh yeah it, it, it's it's wild I, <laughs> Oh, the shit you could get away with in 2004. Yeah, man, we should have known this woke culture. That was a canary in a coal mine. (laughs) The fact they got in trouble for that. Look at what they took from you. Yeah, it it wasn't. It was was the uh, movie gate uh, to the later Gamergate. Ten years preceding it. Man, well, I I feel like we could probably end up talking about uh, the better movie, uh, Ad Nauseam. So uh, let's kind of just throw out some, some basic thoughts on this 2017 work uh this piece of art piece of culture uh what did you think about it uh i like i said uh completely derivative um i believe this came out in 2017 correct mm-hmm. um yeah. so that yeah. was that was definitely at a high point of the sort of game of thrones presence in the culture so everybody oh my God, it was. yeah <laughs> yeah so just combined with what they're they're clearly were trying to do set up some sort of like King Arthur MCU, yeah. Um, with like Zack Snyder aesthetics and and Guy Ritchie, you know, taking elements of his uh, you know nonlinear montage style that they would just chop in there like it was a completely different movie. So yeah, so this just felt like three different derivative movies all in one. Very muddled, confusing experience. The rules of the fantasy world were not well laid out. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I want these two hours of my life back. Guy Ritchie is such a fascinating director to me because it, it seems like people still give him this element of almost indie cred for his earlier works when it really seems like he's kind of been swallowed by the studio system. Like this is the guy who nowadays is directing the Sherlock Holmes movies, this King Arthur movie and Aladdin for Disney. Like these are not indie films in any way, shape or oh, form. Oh shit. I forgot that he did the live action Aladdin that 
just yeah completely completely forgettable um yeah i think that him getting absorbed into the studio beast uh started with the sherlock holmes films which i actually enjoyed the first one of those yeah i remember um and, and then i can't remember the second one for the life of me <laughs> yeah it was about someone was trying to start world war one 15 years before world war one actually started Ah, uh, well i'm glad we finally beat him there we were able to get another 15 years worth of lethal weaponry out in the open uh. <laughs> yeah yeah 15 more years Years of um, yeah military buildup and none of the uh, fundamental alliance structures that would lead to uh, global calamity uh, changed at all. <laughs> what a ridiculous movie! He he is a British guy though, so like if you're a Brit and you get offered the idea of doing Sherlock Holmes and King Arthur, you're probably gonna say yes. You know, like I, I can't fault him for saying yes to the projects and accepting like the thirty million dollars or whatever. Yeah, he's he's. Definitely, you can you can tell he gravitates towards English-related American movie studio projects, <laughs> and they. I mean, part of the confusion about just the rules of this fantasy world that is that is in this movie, and just the setting itself is like they clearly reference it as it's supposed to be England, but it's completely divorced from any sort of historical context, or and the at times uh, ridiculously over-the-top uh, fantasy elements just take it out of. Reality completely. So you're left like wondering, like, what what exactly is going on here? What were they going for? <laughs> and it's also, you know, it probably should be stated at some point that Ar King Arthur is known as King of the Britons, not King of England, because Arthur existed before these Angles and the Saxons came over. So you know, um, little little weird that they were kind of doing this fifth century king, but also like a sixteenth century fashion statements and the armor structure and all of that was almost renaissance era it was uh, uh truly bizarre to, to try and place it exactly and pinpoint what was happening but then you know when i look and i see like well who produced this movie it's one of the guys who did dark tower and seventh son and uh, uh steve mnuchin was one of them even oh my god yeah it, it definitely had the had the mnuchin sheen to it for sure just a quality producer all the all the way around i mean it, it just seemed like uh and again we'll, we'll dive into it a little later but like the whole movie smelled of the studio produced factory made uh really trying to make a franchise that would become the money printer that warner brothers wanted i think you said uh that they wanted they wanted to make six of these movies is that right they did they did yeah uh, can't imagine exactly six of them but i, I can imagine three of them because like you said earlier like this seems like three different movies basically that they smashed into one yeah and, and considering they didn't include a lot of the lore elements of the um of, of the king arthur universe which they had to save time I'm somewhere grift come on they cut out the lore element of king arthur you just have so much to work with like there are so many incredible king arthur stories that haven't made it to the big screen yet and and that's why part of the reason why people are excited for the green knight because it looks like a it's a it's a famous r relatively well-known myth in that canon which is clearly being adapted in a stylish and ambitious way so there you have so much to work with so many legendary characters so much stuff that has um, like, you, you, you know, pensions with an audience to begin with, like they, they know the, these are identifiable characters, which is what, um, 
if you're trying to build like a, a, a cinematic universe, which is which is the move for studios nowadays for their for their um, you know long term b- uh, budget plans, um, you have a lot of in the canon to work with. But they completely left it all out. Um, they just name dropped some <laughs> some roundtable knights at the end, and obviously you have King Arthur and you know uh, Bedivere is another well known character. But it it was it was just not. Um, it, 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 like they, they really uh, blew it as far as what sort of the story they focused on and the fact that I think the, the, the villain in this isn't even in the Arthurian legend. I did not remember him being a character ever at all. Yeah, he, he kind of is like this C-tier uh, King Arthur legend because uh, okay. uh, 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 Vorti- Vortigen, Vortigern, whatever, however you pronounce his name, Jude Law's character in this movie, he, in most of King Arthur's lore, is viewed as like a nephew of King Arthur or like an illegitimate son of King Arthur. And they're like, well, he's an uncle this time around. So sure. Fuck it. Why huh, not? Huh. And that was also what was supposed to be the, the, the Mordred character who is in the, who is inexplicably sort of in the intro to this, even though. Oh yeah. First three minutes and then just gets murked. <laughs> yeah. He, he's just some like mad, like mage guy when in the actual Arthurian legend, he's King Arthur's bastard son. And there's all these interesting, uh, you know, know weird psychosexual dynamics going on with him and morgan lefay and arthur you know it's it's very it's it's um there's there's definitely a lot more going on than just like oh mordred is this evil magician who's defeated at the beginning of the movie (laughs) (laughs) i i guess you know um uh to to give people an idea we're not going to do a full plot rundown here because this movie god it would erode my soul but to give people like a basic premise idea here um, after the murder of his father, King Uther, who's played by Eric Bana, Arthur's power-hungry uncle Vortigern, played by Jude Law, seizes control of the crown. Now, robbed of his birthright, Arthur, who's played by Charlie Hunnam from uh, Sons of Anarchy, grows up the hard way and in the back alleys of the city, not knowing who he truly is. When fate leads him to pull the Excalibur sword from the stone, Arthur embraces his true destiny to become the legendary fighter and leader. That's kind of like, it's a sword and stone movie. Everyone kind of knows the basic plot beats of it. So thankfully, that allows Grift and I the ability to just kind of rip really into the aesthetic choices and the uh, other things that exist in this movie yeah i I would like it just felt the 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 plot could have been not a king arthur movie there was they just slapped that uh name on it when really you know besides the sword and the stone and a couple other you know the lady of the lake and a couple other um well-known characters who show up uh there isn't really much connecting this to the original arthurian legend and the 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 tone um there are there are fantasy elements of the legend but it isn't quite as high ridiculous fantasy as this um correct in the in the intro you're just immediately like in the in the in the opening sort of uh um you know, it, it felt felt like a prequel movie in itself. That opening no, no, you scene. can say yeah. it felt like a Lord of the Rings movie. It did, like, yeah. That, that, that's what the first five minutes were they, of giant elephants invading Camelot. Yeah, I, I did like that uh, burning pyramid on top of the of the elephant. Um, that was that was a cool little touch. But yeah, it was like it was like, wait, is this Return of the King? 
here <laughs> hell yeah uh we should watch that instead hold on let me pause it uh watch that and come back what did i miss yeah. <laughs> uh yeah th- this movie it it should kind of almost feel directionless because uh when i was looking up the writers of this i just it, it was a pandora's box type situation grift because like all the credited writers on this movie aren't actually really writers by trade they're producers first and foremost so they're like big idea. They might pitch some of the skeletal beats, but in terms of actual dialogue and making compelling characters, didn't seem like there was a lot of experience there. And add to that, that there's just this huge backlog of an issue of where uh, after the 2004 King Arthur movie came out, uh, Warner Brothers wanted to try and make like an Excalibur remake. And this is kind of where the process got started because uh, Warner Brothers thought, well, we'll get Brian Singer to direct our Excalibur <laughs> remake. And then uh, I don't know what went on with Brian Singer uh, around like 2009 or mm. something, but weirdly he wasn't <laughs> considered a hot ticket item for that. So uh, that initial project ended up getting scrapped. And that was actually going to have uh, Kit Harrington, who is Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, and then Joel Kinnaman, who has uh, been Rick Flagg and Robocop. Uh, they were going to be Arthur and Lancelot, respectively. And so that got scrapped and redone. And then uh, the guy who made that, or who wrote rather, that awful 2018 Robin Hood movie. Did you see that with the Kingsman kid? No, but honestly, like in my sort of headspace, that often would get confused with this movie. Cause I, yeah, I, I yeah, remember, it should. yeah, I, it did, should. I didn't see either of them initially, but I remember seeing ads for them and the, you know, they came out back to back years. It's completely rolled together in my mind. Um, you, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, um, yeah, still, you know, you just, just obvious, uh, you know, studio grabs trying to build a u- universe around these, uh, these, uh, well-known, uh, myths. Uh, that didn't get sequels. Yeah, but that was going to have Colin Farrell and Gary Oldman. Uh, uh, Colin Farrell is Arthur. Gary Oldman is Merlin. And so but that, that's at least like a, an interesting casting of sorts. <laughs> and then finally, uh, the script got revised by the guy who produced the Fantastic Beasts movies. Oh, of which course. That, <laughs> that, that was the thing where I was like, that explains what's wrong with it. The guy who produced the Seventh Son failed movie and the guy who executive produced the Fantastic Beasts, of course, they're responsible for this King Arthur franchise. Fuck this movie. God. Yeah, this this was a bad script. Like, I not a single line of memorable dialogue or acting choices, um, but it also employed that classic Guy Ritchie touch of the sort of non-linear time, uh, um, like montage, yeah, where they where a character is explaining something that happened to another character, but then they go they they cut between them showing the sequential events in the past with him telling the story, which in movies like Snatch, you know, it, it, that have actually good scripts, it's an incredibly effective plot device, incredibly engaging, like and and that's sort of Guy Ritchie's like signature style, and you just see it completely bastardized and thrown in with just the utter. <laughs> Drek that was here it was it, 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 like 
I, I got kind of pumped when I saw that they were doing it a couple times, but then immediately I was like, oh no, it's it's not up to the standard of what we expect from 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 that um, stylistic choice. I actually have a theory about that because another thing when I was doing some research into this movie, the uh, first draft, the first cut of this movie was three and a half hours long. Holy shit. Based on that, I have a feeling the studio said, no, 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 that's not going to work. How about you guy Richie-fy XYZ set pieces and scenes, and then they became the conversation pieces with the smash cut to the other respective scenes. I have a feeling that that's probably an explanation for why we suddenly got all of those exposition drop with the smash cuts. Like, beyond it being just his style, I mean. Yeah, that sounds extremely plausible because, yeah, like you said, it felt like a bunch of movies mashed into one. The The tone was very jarring. It jumped around between different elements. And once you were getting comfortable with a style, it, it sort of flipped to it, flipped to another one. Because there was one point where it sort of turned into a... Uh, on underground resistance movie when they were doing sort of stochiastic <laughs> acts of terror against the king and I, I was vibing with that they were they were yeah, actually yeah. thinking the, the characters were thinking <laughs> out loud about they're like oh we need to you know like okay uh, how do we geopolitically disrupt the kingdom and then they were, they were doing uh, acts of terror yeah. um, and and it was I feel like there was a good movie in there if they had focused on like King Arthur and his band as this like outlaw group of, of uh, rebels who were rallying the populace king arthur and his merry men if you will yeah exactly yeah you could have just you could have made a robin hood movie at the same time and considering this is like this came out in 2017 which everyone was at the full height of their trump derangement syndrome uh there, there were some incredibly heavy-handed uh, scenes of the uh, Vortigern king making every all these subjects kneel and then do the Nazi salute. Um, yeah, but were, the hands, are, the fingers are uh, separated, so oh, okay. it's different. So, you yeah, know? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's different. So they were clearly trying to position him as some sort of Trump figure, and then Arthur was leading this underground resistance. But <laughs> and at the end, yeah, the people did rebel, but it was it felt completely not earned because you didn't really see him. Uh, gain this following as this legendary figure with the people besides just pulling the sword out of the stone. There wasn't really any, it it didn't build up to it at all. Absolutely. Because it really feels like Charlie Hunnam is in one movie and Jude Law is in an entirely other one. Because Charlie Hunnam is in the Guy Ritchie set in kind of the Dark Ages era of like, oh, he's a scrapper, he's a fighter, he's discount Conor McGregor bobbing and weaving and running through the market streets of Londinium, right? And Jude Law is in like his like heavy metal Dungeons and Dragons inspired King Arthur movie where it's all high fantasy and they're fucking sea witches and all that kind of shit. And like, it's not out of place to picture there being like a giant dragon or some like wolf creature uh, of, of mystical nature in there with him. It's just two very different vibes going throughout the entire film. Yeah, you totally, I feel like they should have taken, like, as cool as the elephant things, you know, were and the giant snake at the end, I feel like it would have been, like, tonally wise, you should have taken those things out because it it just, yeah, it turned into a Lord of the Rings, like, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Well, it also raised the, the, or at least for me, uh, that opening scene uh, about the world of the mages, it opened the door to a lot of options that just never got fulfilled later on in the movie the mages have this like weird ability where they can control both 
elements and animals at the same time and yet the same so they're basically x-men only they're at war with this dark ages style technology and somehow they lost even though they can control as evidenced later in the movie giant kaiju sized animals like how in the fuck did they lose <laughs> yeah that just seems wild yeah to me. the rules of the universe were never really explained and um yeah like just uh I, I'm, 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 I'm at a loss here. Um, like, uh, imagine like if you're in the dark ages, Griff, like you, you have a life expectancy of like 28 or whatever. Right. So, uh, you're already considered an old man among your tribe and then you're lining up on the battlefield for your tribal leader. Uh, and then you're about to face off against the mages who have a giant, like 80 foot elephant and 500 foot long snakes. And like, that's what you're supposed to fight. <laughs> <laughs> like and you're you're getting hyped up and like charging them and firing arrows and as if it actually matters. Like, yeah. wouldn't you just take one look at that thing and just get the fuck out of there? Like, there's just, there's there's there's, there's, there's nothing you can do. And uh, fuck, man, I I don't even like. So I do like when movies uh, don't hit you over the head with exposition. They show, don't tell. But Correct. like they did way too much showing without a lot of telling right out the gate. And it was so jarring. Well, and that's the difference, though, between a good movie and a bad movie, because a, a good movie will will show and not tell because that's what's intended. A bad movie will show and not tell because the telling part got edited out of the movie. Yeah. And they're just hoping that you're willing to go along for the ride. Uh, and that that just wasn't the case with this. The exposition behind the rules of the fantasy universe ended up on the cutting room floor of that three and a half hour movie. <laughs> For sure. Because I think like uh, if WB wanted it to be a six movie franchise, you could have easily done the first movie, have it be like a $40 million budget and have it be all about King Uther and Merlin taking on like all of the evil mages that exist on the Isle of Britain. Like that's, that's your movie. And if people like it, then great. You can do a sequel and you can maybe even tease like uh, uh, King Arthur being in, in the Moses basket that he gets floated down in this movie. You know, like you can still do that, but you make that one movie and it's relatively low cost. And if people dig that world that you've created and the vibe, then you can add more Game of Thrones actors and more Lord of the Rings special effects than the sequel. Like there's a way in which you can do that. And then you kind of culminate and you build up from there. Cause then, you know, you can hit the ground running with legends of the sword and then have the third movie be called like Knights of the round table and have that be where it's like King Arthur is the one waging war on actual Camelot. Cause he survived that, that, uh, what is it called? The dark lands, the, uh, exposition Island where, where, like supposed to think like, oh, he's going to suffer more than any man has suffered. It will break his will. And we get like a four minute montage of him fighting giant bats, basically. Yeah, that whole <laughs> sequence just completely went right through me. I, it, it, it didn't it didn't leave much behind. Uh, uh, and it was like so bad. Man. Yeah. And I, I really like your idea there of having the, the first one be, a you know, a sort of scrappy um 
fantasy, like fantasy magic themed one. And then you, then you could do the underground resistance movie, which was the actual effective part of this movie. And then, and then exactly. And then do your, you know, establishment round table nights dealing with threats to the realm, but they're never going to do that. That would take patience and faith in the project. No. And uh, Warner brothers cares way too much about like quarterly earnings reports to make that happen. You would think that that would be an advantage for like streaming studios. Like they could, it, you, Let's you not could, give them ideas, Grift. Come uh, on now. <laughs> we, we, don't need, we don't need to have people go like, actually, hey, that uh, Guy Richie King Arthur movie as a miniseries? Now that would be cool. Release the Richie cut. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the budget for this thing was $175 million. It, the operating budget. The operating Grift. budget, not marketing. I have marketing, to clarify, because yeah. the marketing was $135 million. Jesus the Christ. The total cost of this movie was $310 three hundred and ten million dollars oh my god it, and then it made less than 40 million in the united states yeah worldwide total of 146.2 looks like oh, so yeah this this lost them a lot of money like, yeah because when people say like oh well is that how much it grossed that is in fact how much it grossed in total meaning you still need to take out the cuts that the theater chains actually get from that total which is roughly 20 to 30 30% depending on uh, domestic versus foreign markets. So good, good fucking luck with that. Cost them so much money. And you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always funny when a, when a movie that's trying to set up a, a franchise bombs, cause especially particularly when it's bad, when it, when it's good, you're like, oh damn, I wish we'd gotten the, gotten the sequels cause that they're never going to get. But when it bombs, you sort of laugh at it. But also it's kind of like, it's kind of gross when you think about just you know, the, the the inequality in our society and the way resources are allocated and then just the amount of money that is put into these completely d- derivative media products is it's it's criminal when yeah. it, com- compared to like what that money could be actually going to in bettering people's lives. And just particularly when they lose when they lose a lot of money, it's particularly evident. It's just like these uh, creations are just like. Are, are are just are, are just the perfect tokens of our society's excess and monstrosity. <laughs> like yeah, just I mean, perfectly you, you have people who like yeah. freak out because like they lost like ten dollars on Dogecoin or whatever. You know, imagine if you lo- if you cost a studio one hundred and fifty million dollars, and then you still have the ego to go. But yeah, I'll direct an Aladdin after this. Uh huh. I feel good about myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, crypto's been crashing a bit today, so I uh, I've been refreshing my Binance account as a form of self harm. Um, but uh, yeah, like if if this would be like if you know, obviously when you know prices are down, good time to buy, but. When it's the studio logic, they're always going to buy. They're always going to double down. Um, and when and uh, yeah, and, and, and like it's interesting how they make they they try to set up these franchises with um, and and refuse to fund more more independent, more interesting products because they think that that's going to be beneficial to their bottom line. When in reality, you got to just invest in in quality projects. Like yeah, that's gonna make you. you, you I'm sure the Green Knight is gonna turn a much bigger profit 
that then you know obviously this movie lost a ton of money but you know when you actually like try to have a vision and uh you know uh trust trust that your audience is going to vibe with it that usually pays off for you instead of just mashing a bunch of things together getting getting a um supposedly indie director who's been completely co-opted by the studio system uh to, to to be your big name on the poster um, and then just just do just the the barest cliff notes of of his aesthetics that you allow into it. It really is frustrating to see because you look at uh, uh, what could have even been on a competent version of this movie. And I, I hate to bring it all kind of on Charlie Hunnam because like no one actor deserves blame, but I think it's very symbolic of just the lack of real vision here because we have to go back to the world of like 2014 2015 okay and you have three actors that are vying for control or vying for this role right uh the first one is jai courtney who uh man that, that he's been on some some bad movies so i can understand wanting to stay away from him but he's a finalist then you have charlie hunnam who's been on sons of anarchy and has said that he's obsessed with the movie so that's great and then you have henry cavill aka the guy who played superman aka the guy who was in guy ritchie's man from uncle aka the guy who was in the witcher and made that such the cultural phenomenon <laughs> that it was because of his portrayal of uh whatever the fuck his name is gerald of Rivia or whatever. And the, the executives went with, uh, oh, that, that Charlie Hunnam guy. Yeah, we'll take him. He's how old? He's 37? Well, we'll have him play a 21-year-old in this movie. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's like when all the older actors try to play high schoolers. It just looks out they of place. They kept calling him boy the entire movie. It's like, no, this is, this is a ripped-ass Viking-looking dude. Like, yeah, he also looks way too Viking to be King Arthur. I'm sorry. Like, when he's fighting the Viking, it's just uh, really you y'all are fighting each other because you're different people groups huh okay well i don't believe that for a second but that's fine and like okay. one of the basic like archetypal tropes of the king arthur story is that when king arthur initially starts off you know he's, he's he, he doesn't know who he is he's pulling the sword from the stone he's like a wimpy dude he doesn't know how to fight he hasn't been trained he's not a he's not a badass out the gate he has to learn along the way and that's like exactly. part of that's that's part of why his character you know i think has like resonated with uh, with audiences across millennia like that's but why would you do that grift when Instead, you could have him do a shadow boxing montage. Huh? Doesn't that sound better than character arc? <laughs> yeah, I, it, it felt very Mortal Kombat at the beginning, actually. <laughs> That's an insult to Mortal Kombat, yeah, unfortunately. It, because this, this movie also had that the, the PG-13 sheen to the action. Where you oh my god, yes. Oh, oh. Where just like, there's when you're going to have people having sword fights and there's no blood and guts and people are just getting fucked up all over the place, it just it just takes you right out of it. You have, like, if this had been like a hard R, like actually like blood and guts, uh, Conan style, like fantasy shit, like that, that would have uh, improved it a lot. Like that would have, that would have actually had an, an edge to it and a sense of danger to it. But instead you just had the, like the PG-13 style action where, ma you know, mass amounts of people People just get fucked up and there's no blood, no actual b bodily consequences to anything. It's like bizarre, almost sterile sense of violence that took place. 
Yeah, it was very much like fucking up stormtroopers. <laughs> the guys yeah. with the black masks, like his. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, like you know, they're they're obviously supposed to be intimidating, and and the the even though he he kicks their ass, you know, they still have good, you know, they they still have intricate fight choreography. But yeah, they're, they're supposed yeah. to not be the immortals from Three Hundred, just no. to, <laughs> yeah. to give people the idea of who they are. <laughs> but yeah, he just they just fuck up so many of them, and and they just you know they they do the classic PG thirteen sword action where like they he stabs one of them but there's and then they immediately go off screen you just throw like they're thrown off screen by like what i would actually like slice them in half (laughs) yeah uh thank god though i mean like vortigen might be an evil ruler but he just has such a sense of style he's able to equip all of his minions with all black outfits which in the fifth century britain man that would probably be hard to come by yeah they went like full like dark fantasy mage king with the yeah the aesthetics of his his uh, henchmen and the throne room and the, you know the the stuff that he wore it was it was very like um like all like high middle ages uh but like you know it definitely like a time period well after the the arthurian legend supposed to take place and it just it didn't have that grittiness that no it would, didn't yeah it, it really felt like a and d campaign almost like that seemed to be the kind of movie that jude law was doing only he wouldn't be allowed to be as cartoonishly villainous as i think it might be enjoyable for a D kind of movie I, again, it just felt like the reins got pulled back a little bit on this for no apparent reason. Yeah, his performance as a villain was pretty muted, and uh, part of uh, where he was getting his power from was he was, like, sacrificing his relatives to this, like, uh, underwater, <laughs> like, uh tentacle siren beasts yeah, he, uh, kept, he was fucking running out of relatives real yeah, fast yeah yeah he's, he's killing his wife he's killing his daughter but it, it, it like, killed his brother yeah let's not forget oh yeah they, they they just made it seem like he was conflicted about doing that but his whole performance his villainy his whatever uh supposed qualms he had about what he was doing it it, it was a it was a very flat jude law performance the thing i also love the most is uh in the flashback you know it's a uh, middle-aged King Uther and his slightly younger brother. Yeah. Right. And then uh, suddenly uh, King Arthur ha- has all grown up and is finally fighting Jude Law. The age difference between Charlie Hunnam and Jude Law is only eight years. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 like it would have been interesting almost if, uh, I don't know, Arthur had a older brother for some reason. And that could have been what happened. And then that froze him in time. But, you know, whatever. We're, we're making the movie better, I guess, uh, if we try to explain it instead of keep on ragging on it as it deserves. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a recurring recurring trope for our recordings. Like we end up like writing better movies, like conceiving of better movies than they actually put out. And like, so uh, I think uh, studios, if you're interested in improving your garbage pop culture products, uh, listen to this show. <laughs> Let's focus on the movie that we have at hand. Uh, the third act of this film, uh, or rather the solo fight of when finally Vorgan and King Arthur are fighting each other and uh, they go into another dimension, aka the, the PS2 cutscene <laughs> <Yeah>. dimension. <laughs> and then they had Charlie Hunnam fight Darkseid yeah. or, or, or Steppenwolf or whoever. Like, yeah, it, it, oh, it, God. Was, it, it was, was a complete, really bad. It was it was a Thor movie by then. Like. Oh, yeah, it, it really was like right down to the you have a magic s- steel 
uh, tool of some kind that can harness lightning. And he fights like Wonder Woman that came out like two weeks later, weirdly enough. And it, it just, you know, the slow-mo shots and the cool aesthetics that were given to him. Um, when it's happening in live action, that's one thing. But when it becomes so painfully CGI in the climax, that, oh man, that really made the whole thing age like milk. And just made me fucking laugh out loud for trying to take this movie seriously. It's just that combination of both oversaturated color, uh, spark like just f- sparks flying everywhere for no reason. Yeah, uh, and, and then and then the the parts that are dark are, are too dark, so you can barely even see them if your room lighting uh, isn't perfectly attuned to, to your monitor output. You know, the <laughs> uh, one thing that that did kind of crack me up about this movie. Uh, it's not me giving credit to it so much as uh, when Arthur finally beats his uncle, uh, he also thanks his uncle for making him the man he is today. And uh, that was like some some real hefty baggage that needs to probably get unpacked in therapy for King Arthur there. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, that does not seem like a healthy attitude to view your uncle in, in that respect. Yeah, uh, men will literally overthrow throw the ruler of a kingdom rather than go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it just you know it seems weird because uh it, all of the beats occur in just the most muted muddled of ways that all kind of look like it's all studio notes everywhere all the way through and so when when king arthur finally uh wins he takes over camelot and then he's like building his giant ass round table um that scene, and then I you were touching on it earlier when he's like, Oh, hey, uh, Greg, or whatever the fuck, Blue, I don't know any of their names, <laughs> but he's just like, uh, or like Wet Stick, I think is one of the names. <laughs> like, I now call you Sir Tristan, yeah, yeah, your your name is now, uh, yeah, is 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 now uh, uh Sir Tristram or whatever, like it was just like these Chinese things. George, yeah. your name is now just. George. George, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt to, to they they name dropped a lot of um, famous King Art, you know, roundtable knights like yeah, Percival, Tristram, uh, Bedivere, you know, all, all and then George. But it just felt like <laughs> that's not even a guy in the myth. It was just like the the, the they called him Chinese George earlier. The, in the entire movie, movie yeah. except for the very end, which is like- which is fucking weird because when 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 studios go out of their way to put you know, like a black character or an Asian character in a thing that's supposed to take place in like either fifth or 15th century England. Like, yeah, obviously our conceptions of race are different than they used to be. The um, England used to be a Roman empire outpost. There were probably some people from other parts of the world that ended up there. And, and there is a, there, there is a historical precedent for having not just all white people in England, but to directly like reference, like this guy is called Chinese George, like yeah. it, it was, it was weird. Like you know, because because obviously you're you're doing something than what different than what, what they did in the past, where you know every one of these people in these movies would be white, but you don't call attention to it at the same time. It's like exactly, yeah. exactly. You you do what you did with Bedivere, and like he was never explained, and I appreciated that. I was like, all right, cool, he's here, 
and he, he's doing this thing. Awesome. Wonderful. We don't need uh, Chinese George running around <laughs> in his gladiatory uh, gladiator school uh, where him and just a whole bunch of other hunky himbo dudes wrestle it out, I guess, all day, every day. Uh, yeah, let, like, let, like obviously these are these are to- token uh, uh, diversity additions by the studio, but I, I don't mind it. Just just have the have the Asian guy don't comment on the fact that he's Asian. And it's, it's what it's what it's what they did with with uh, with the with 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 Bedivere here. It's like I was perfectly fine with having a, a black guy play that role, but just don't call attention to it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, so halfway kudos to them for for like two characters, but you lost me with the third. So no credit <laughs> taken. It's a it's a hundred percent or it's nothing. At least in my opinion. Um, yeah. I mean, th- this movie just just was not very good for me. Uh, it could have been worse in a lot of ways, you know, like the guy Richie isms as, uh, as just sad as they made me to kind of see like, Oh, this is the bastardized version of what I come to love as an aesthetic, but to now see it twisted and muted in this way, wasn't cool. I could have not gotten it at all. And that would have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so. the, because the glimpses of it that we did get just made me want to watch snatch. Like I'm like, why am I wasting my time with this this bastardized like just 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 uh, just inferior uh, re- reference to these uh, stylistic uh, uh, you know you know production devices that are just employed by better films. <laughs> Do you think someone's watching this and going like, man, I really got to watch Sherlock Holmes two Game of Shadows? <laughs> it's it's a better use of your time than this movie, that's for sure. <laughs> At least you get Moriarty. At least you get like the the uh, yeah World War One before World War One. It's 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 grounded in an actual time period that makes sense. It it's it's a more uh, coherent uh, fantasy MCU Sherlock Holmes world. Better than this piece of shit. <laughs> Can't hate it for that. Not at all. Uh, so yeah, I guess let's talk about like how many trash cans we want to give this thing. Uh, where are you at, Griff? Uh, I'm at three or three and a half. You know, somewhere in that mm. range. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it was it, it, technically you know it was competent in the action scenes it wasn't embarrassing it wasn't like a so bad it's good you know it wasn't like a you know obviously it wasn't so bad it's good or it, 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 and it also wasn't like a so bad that it's bad but just it completely slid through my mind after it and not nothing left purchase like it was completely forgettable completely derivative uh it has no reason to exist i would also probably give it three trash cans in general um it's a very you know technically competent movie i think you know as you we're talking about uh one of the people who uh was behind the camera the cinematographer for this movie uh is a guy named john matheson i wanted to mention it now because he did the cinematography for gladiator the phantom of the opera and then also like five of the goddamn marvel movies of course so yeah <laughs> yeah that, like that that's that i think is a good element of what made it just so forgettable. Like it's perfectly serviceable, but it's also something that you'd never think of. No one ever goes, man, the cinematography in Gladiator or in the Marvel movies or in Phantom of the Opera or in, you know, XYZ, any other film that then uh, he, he's worked on before. Um, so it's yeah. just too bloated, too boring, not memorable. And yeah, yeah, man, I, 
Like, Can't wait for us to cover something fun next week instead. Oh hell, like basically, you know, you know that genre of post that uh, we we like to dunk on, where it's like MCU stands posting just the most CGI uh, PS2 cut screen uh, uh, still from the Avengers Endgame, saying, "Oh my God, Marvel cinematography is out of this yeah. world." <laughs> basically, like like it 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 was like that like derived even several levels further from any amount of originality it was oh like my God. yeah like it, it, it's so bad i always feel so bad for the special effects team on marvel movies like you know these like teams of 20 30 or 40 people who slaved away and crunched away for like 16 hours a day every day for like a year and a half right and then the cinematographer is the one who gets credit <laughs> shared by all the fans yeah and, and then they're, yeah they're, they're just all like oh my god these landscapes of gray and brown smoke and debris is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in a film like it just uh, just one one perfect shot am I right r slash movie details upvote all the way through god damn, yeah, god uh, damn. Some, some gold for you stranger <laughs> <laughs> uh, i guess if it's a king arthur movie we could say some grail for you king hey, uh, whatever hey. uh, yeah yeah okay it's time to get out of here so uh, let, let's let's go into plugs grift you're actually doing important stuff though so uh tell me what's going on in your world and uh, how can people help you may you may have been seeing a lot of uh, uh iron dome posts uh coming out of <laughs> the, of the grift <laughs> shop so I, I i put the idea out there that i would do it i would do a shirt inspired by them the response was overwhelming um so i you know i i, I had to do that up um and of course all profits are going to be donated to fund uh, emergency medical supplies uh for for palestine and you know the ongoing uh, genocide that they're dealing with yep um so the the, the way to check that out on my store is I either go to the pop-up shop on the griff.shop landing page or search dome at at, at my site um, and yeah all, all the profits are going to be sent to um, it, I, I think it's um, uh, um, uh, Arab Relief Canada which is the one that's doing dire, uh, direct support for Palestine through emergency medical supplies I wanted to pick one that wasn't through like the UN or some other shady nonprofit <laughs> that just ends up like back in the DNC's coffers so yeah, uh, yeah. so I you know I, I looked at some threads and and uh, picked one that's good I, you know we've we, 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 we've already raised a bit but you know obviously there's no limit to um, what, uh, what 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 we can help out and it's really the only way uh, that we can, uh, but besides posting, uh, you know, obviously it's it's tough to feel powerless as a uh, as just a person watching from the other side of the world. Definitely. Um, and so we're all, yeah, we're all dealing with it in our own ways, and you know, trying to use humor and uh, shit posting to support a good cause. And um, yeah, you know, that's that's the Griff Shop motto: putting those shit posts on shirts. <laughs> and uh, this, yeah, this one is this one's not going to me. It's 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 going to Palestine. So definitely check that out. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I mean, again, doing actual uh, real world good in in some way. I'm incredibly jealous, and it makes you know me following up with uh uh also uh you guys you guys should also uh, uh follow us on letterboxd and twitter that would be cool <laughs> extremely uh, important uh, you know. too these things are of equal <laughs> <Yeah>. importance <laughs> equal equally uh yeah that, that's exactly right well uh again it, it's so very cool uh that you're doing that obviously thank you a whole lot and then um 
for anyone else uh, out there still listening to this during plugs uh follow the podcast at giga podcast to see what we got coming up next uh if i remember correctly we are going to uh be doing army of the dead the Zack snyder zombie movie with apocalypse in review oh my god i'm so excited for that just a real palate cleanser because <laughs> as always it's it's a blast and we will catch y'all on the flip side peace deuces